Last week we began our series on the concept or the topic of love by looking at the love chapter, as it's sometimes called, from 1 Corinthians 13. And last week we read in your hearing of verses 4 through 7. We're going to read those verses again this week, but 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, we'll get there in a moment uh, as you're turning there. But we're going to focus this week not on verse 4, but we'll basically be in verse 5. And for of those uh, that uh, may not have been with us, remember that the New Testament was written originally in Greek. And so, like many other languages, when you go to do the translation, sometimes it can be lost in translation, or it's difficult to maybe understand it in the context. So, from time to time, as you know, we'll bring out that the word behind it in the Greek means this, to help gain some insight. And sometimes people use different translations to try to grasp uh, the different concepts of the words that are there, uh, but uh, we're going to look a little bit at the Greek, um, just these words, nothing new from last week, but just just as remember, the, the Greek New Testament uses the word eros, phileo, or brotherly love, and this concept of agape love, which we see throughout, and that's a positional love, it's a preferred love, it's the love of reason, it's Moral preference, all those phrases encompass what the agape word itself means, but as we were reading last week, we see there in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul says, but love is, love is. So that's where we'll find ourselves, and we we reminded you last week or mentioned to you last week that it's not just a feeling. It's more than a feeling, this kind of love that we're talking about. Christ died on the cross, suffered long through the scourging, through this uh, crucifixion. And remember, he said, Father, forgive them. They know what not what they do. That's just not a feel good feeling kind of love. That's a deep love. And so that's an example of what we're talking about today. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And then we'll come back to verse 5 after we complete the reading of 7. We'll come right back to 5 and remind you of what's there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May God add his blessing in the reading of his word. And again, verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Now on the thinks no evil, I will call out that uh, for some of you, depending on what translation you have, but if you had the New King James uh, Version, there is a translator's note there that would call you to the margin or the center portion, and it says, instead of thinks no evil, it says, keeps no account of evil. Keeps no account of evil. And we'll get to that in due time. So the first phrase that we look at is, does not behave rudely. Love does not behave rudely. 
we look at the definition of the words that are behind that, and it's unseemly, indecent, unbecoming, improper. Unseemly, indecent, unbecoming, improper. What is indecency? Or what is on honorably? We seem to have lost the concept of decency in our culture. The fact that it's something that has to be defined. And as we'll discuss in a moment, even in our church circles, we've allowed indecency to come in, and some have allowed it to come in even in their speech. And sometimes there is a great debate or debates that take place on what words should we say and should we not say, to the point that I was doing some of my research and people will say, why can't we cuss in church if we cuss out in public? And you even have ministers, I've heard even song people, that they will add a curse word to their delivery for emphasis or to make it feel more real. It is curious to me that in Scripture, aren't we not instructed by Jesus to be in the world and not of the world? But somehow, we've determined to make it more real That we bring those words and those sayings and those phrases even into the pulpit. There seems to be this desire to have a shock factor. But it seems antithetical to scripture that we are to go out into the world and preach the gospel... Not that we are to bring the world into the church. We are to bring the world, as in the people, but not the world. That should not be our drive. It would seem that some people maybe go to church, and maybe there's some ministers, and I will tell you that not necessarily is every minister that you hear of God. Come choose it as a profession. And some would seem that you people go to church to say for a therapy session or to hear a good oratory. And so the fact that there's the preachers out there that will drop the F-bomb as part of their sermon. Really? I have to cuss to get my word across? I have to be indecent to get my word across. I need to be vulgar. I need to talk explicit sexual acts somehow and be indecent. 
to get my word across, I don't think the gospel needs that help. It's not cons consistent with scripture. This is just rudely, just indecent. There's a similar word in the Greek in another passage that talks about not to basically set her up for disgrace. Your goal in life, this talks about relationships, should not be to shock the other person, to make them feel uncomfortable. It's one thing to preach the gospel that people see their need of salvation. It's another thing to be rude or, or crass or to make a point. You don't shouldn't purposely just try to make people feel completely and act indecently, burp in their face, pick your nose. You're like, oh, how gross. But yet, we have debates amongst Christians on how much cussing we're allowed to do. Now, we can get into the trifles of certain words, but vulgarity is vulgarity. The fact that we see in church circles this need for, let's make it more real, life is more real. And it's, if I cuss every day during the week, or if I say those words, that's the way we do during the week, we should say the same things in church. I would suggest it should be the other way around, the way you should conduct yourself in church. And carry the gospel is the way you should cut your, conduct yourself in the world. Are we not to be Christ-like? Would it be okay for Jesus to use those words? That's not righteous living. Some would, would want to extend, well, we have liberty. And they want to talk about this easy religion, and they want to talk about grace, but God calls us to holiness. Paul says, what, should I sin more, that grace much more abound? God forbid! It's disheartening to see Christians or young Christians or even older Christians that should know better trying to find ways to divert the Word of God so they can do, have more freedom to do, do things that lead them more away from God than to God. Aren't we striving to be more Christ-like? Don't people love to wear the bands, what would Jesus do? I'm sure we won't find Jesus cussing in a message. And yes, I'm spending a lot of time on this because this seems to be one of those gateways that we lower our standards, even in our young people or our young adults. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about it explicitly. The Bible doesn't give me a list of words, but the Bible does say, do not act, love does not act rudely. It also says some other things in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting dirty jokes which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks 
Verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Colossians 3.8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. I think it says, and gives us enough guidance, that we should be working towards a more elevated speech. I'm not talking high and haughty. But neither do we need to be in the gutter to feel like we just came out of a brothel. It goes for the gestures, too, that they fly everywhere. We have lost the sense of decency. And the fact that it's coming into the church and coming into the church through so-called preachers, so-called Christian singers, is troubling. Be careful what little ears what you hear. And unfortunately, it's just not the guys. It seems to be, it's so, maybe it's just me. I just hate to hear a woman cuss. Why go down in the gutter with some of these guys? It just doesn't make any sense. All right, let's go back to verse 5 does not seek its own. These are talking about relationships. This one is a little challenging for me as I read it to grasp all the parts of it. But as I think in a broader sense, the way I think of it for me is the, I'm not trying to take advantage. I'm in a situation I don't want to try to take advantage. You sell a used car or something, you should tell them what's wrong with it. I think it's as simple as that. It goes on and says, does not provoke. Some passages of scripture you might say does not, is not easily provoked. I read Adam Clark earlier this week as a commentator from way, way back, hundreds of years ago. He found problems with the ones that had added in, not easily provoked. He just thought it was more not provoked. What does that mean, provoked? That means provoked to anger, provoked to that robust, explosive Response, if you, we use characteristics like, well, you know they tend to have a short fuse. Or a hair trigger. 
to describe someone with a short fuse. Now, for some, that might be when they're tired. For some, it might be chemical imbalances, but that's not the way we should default ourselves to, and we should try to have the Lord help us with those kinds of things. I understand. But you ever heard someone on the opposite description, it's like they don't seem to ever get flustered. It just doesn't shake them. This is the, the Super Bowl Sunday, and you will watch some players. I, I watch some players, and they talk about how that quarterback, even in the midst of difficulty, keeps a level head and, and uh, is able to respond to the challenges. I saw other football players during the pre, uh, playoffs come to the sideline, take their helmets off, and slam them to the ground. So which one do you think love leans towards? For some of us, this is, we might get deal with ang getting angry towards ourselves. We don't give ourselves a, a break. We put our bar too high and we get very frustrated with situations in ourselves. We have to guard that that doesn't come out as anger against people. They don't know what you're upset with. But see... Paul's giving us something to work towards, not something to settle for. We don't settle for vulgarity. We try to work our way away from it. We don't settle for, well, we cuss out through the week, so why not during church? We settle for, we should strive to take our faith with us unless our faith is shallow. And if we're young in Christ, our faith might be new. Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. But when I became a man, I put away foolish things. Other scripture says that what time I ought to have been teachers, I have need that one teach me again, the, the first fruits. I'm loosely paraphrasing and chopping it up a little bit. The point being is we shouldn't be satisfied to settle for immaturity. We should strive towards what Paul's laying out for us. Find that even keel. Think about what does it, why does it bother me? Because sometimes Satan can use that to manipulate your emotions to damage relationships. And as we think about relationships, we look at this next word here in verse 5. Thinks no evil. And the word behind that is like what it says in that center note there that translator's note that's in your New King James, and maybe your translation even says this, but it says, keep those accounts of evil. We're talking about relationships. 
does it present a good relationship? Demonstrate the love of Christ. We turn to someone and say, listen, you're in my book now. I got you in my book. You're on my list. I got it. I'll remember. Some of, some of you even work here at accounting firm, so this will resonate with you. But the rest of us probably understand our checkbooks and what accounting means. Accounting means I keep account of deposits and withdrawals. And as I've taught often before, we make deposits into our relationships and we make withdrawals on our relationships. And so you want to be making more positive deposits into your relationship account so that when you might make a withdrawal, say something you shouldn't, that you don't find yourself overdrawing on your relationship account. So now the relationship's in the red. So this keeping records of wrong would mean that, yes, they did something that they shouldn't have, but I'm going to hold on to that. I got a record. No forgiveness. I've got a record of it. And since I have a record, I can't forget it. You know, some people write things down so that they can remember. Some people might mentally write things down and keep reminding themselves of this is what they did that was wrong, this is what they did was wrong, and I've got them in my book. So I may not have it written down, but I keep reminding myself of it, so I've got to count against them. So no forgiveness, no forgetting it. You might say, well, you can't forget it, but I'll tell you what, if you don't remind yourself about it all the time, it's going to be a lot easier to let it go. Forgive. But if you keep bringing it up and you're keeping an account against it, you know, what if God kept account? We do the wrong, then God forgives, but then he keeps account. That doesn't sound like the forgiveness that we're supposed to have. God forgives and forgets. Maybe we can't forget like that but we certainly don't need to keep reminding ourselves, they did me wrong, they did me wrong, they did me wrong. I think they call that grudges. Less some boot, uh, root of bitterness come up inside us. Love suffers long, verse 4, and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not pray to itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what we're striving for, is that kind of love. Let's be standing together.